listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Amen. Please remain standing as we read God's word from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. Genesis 50, starting at verse 15. Reading in Jesus' name. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Heavenly Father, today open our hearts, our minds, our ears, so that we can understand what you would have for us. As we talk about this idea of forgiveness, may we see most of all the forgiveness given to us freely on the cross because of Christ. We thank you for your presence here. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It was either last year or two years ago that Pastor Quam preached through the life of Joseph. Remember, it was phenomenal. We spent several weeks learning about Joseph, his history, his life, what had happened to him. We're going to do a quick recap of that today, and then we're going to focus on this passage in Genesis where we wrestle with this foundational question that all of us have asked at some point in our life, and that's this, am I really forgiven? It's this question that the evil one can bring up to us sometimes in the middle of the night. Or that one sin that you might have done 50 years ago that pops into your head and the guilt and the shame start flooding over you. And in those moments, in spite of everything that we know about the Word of God, in spite of everything that we've heard throughout our life, we doubt in that moment, am I really and truly forgiven? Friends, have you been there? I know I have. Joseph's brothers were there, and we're going to see that in our text. If you got your Bible, we're going to do a little journey through um, about 13 chapters of Genesis. Don't worry, we're not going to read it all. And uh, we'll start at chapter 37. So if you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to see the context here in verse 1. Jacob, this is Joseph's father, lived in the land of his father, sojourning in the land of Canaan. And then it tells us about Joseph, a young lad of 17 years old. Well, Joseph was the apple of his father's eye, remember? So much so that he was treated more favorably than the rest of his brothers. Anyone recall what his father gave him that was special? Yeah, a coat, a coat of many colors. It was beautiful. We don't know what it would have cost, but we're talking really expensive right here for this coat. And to make matters worse for Joseph's brothers, 
he kind of bragged about this. And then God gave Joseph's dreams, not one, but two of them, where his brothers were bowing down to him. This would not have been the custom of the time because the youngest and the younger brothers were subservient to the olders. And their dad was kind of okay with this until Joseph's second dream, remember, when he said, Elso, the father's going to bow down. And then Jacob was like, yeah, not so much, son. You got to rein it back a little bit. So we have this idea of Joseph being the favored one and this hatred, this strong disdain for him started to creep in amongst his brothers. We see throughout chapter 37 above verse 12, it says Joseph is sold by his brothers. They hated him so much that first of all, they throw him into a well. And then take a look at verse 25 of chapter 37. Then they sat down to eat. They are so content in their sin and in their hatred of Joseph, they throw him into a well And then what do they do? They have a meal. Then we know the story goes, slave traders come by, and what do they do? They sell their brother Joseph into slavery. We have this awful part where they kill a goat, smear its blood on the coat of many colors, and take it to their father, and they say a wild animal has killed Joseph. Wants to pause and think. We often put ourselves in the place of Joseph in this passage, perhaps. We look and say, man, they really treated him wrong. But I want us to consider as we're walking through this introduction, what about Joseph's brothers? Think about this. Do you doubt that they love their father? I think they did. Think about the angst, the pain that they caused this old man by saying, Joseph is dead. We know from the Bible, chapter 37, Joseph is sold into slavery into Potiphar's house, an Egyptian official in Egypt. Skip ahead to chapter 39, the familiar story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph was a good-looking young guy. Potiphar's wife um, wanted to do immoral things with him. Joseph said no. Potiphar's wife got offended. Potiphar defended his wife, and Joseph ended up in prison. Had he done anything wrong? No, nothing at all, but God is working in the background of this. While this is happening, again, think of Joseph's brothers back in the land of Canaan. Do you think they would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes wondering... What did I do? What did I do? Do you think when they saw their father, perhaps crying for no reason, the guilt and the pains in their heart would say, what have I done? Chapter 40 and 41 are interesting. God gives Joseph the ability to interpret dreams of Pharaoh. There is some interesting things that happen there. He goes before Pharaoh, interprets the dreams. And of course, it's the prophecy that there's going to be seven good years in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And I love the verse in here. It says, the Egyptian officials and Pharaoh liked what Joseph told them. And then Pharaoh asked this question, we should find someone to put in charge of this plan so we have plenty of food. And in that moment, God raises up Joseph as the number two command in all of Egypt to make this plan that there would be food aplenty for the Egyptians. Again, the working hand of God is in action in this. Keep in mind, when we're reading through these verses and looking, kind of flipping through our Bibles here, this is not a week-long process. This is not a month-long process. This has taken years. Joseph was a slave for years. He was in prison for years. Remember the part two where the prisoner who was released forgot about Joseph (laughs) until later? Man, think about that. Joseph is languishing, having done nothing wrong, suffering in prison. In fact, we get to a point in chapter 41, 
verse 46, it tells us that Joseph was now 30 years old. How old was he when he was sold into slavery? 17. So 30 years have now passed. Or 13 years, excuse me, has now passed. He's 30 years old. That's a long time to see this happening. And then he's put in charge of Egypt. And then, remember, seven years of famine. More time passes. We get to chapter 42. Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. 42 verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? I think Jacob was a little sarcastic. I like this guy. And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us that we may live and not die. Verse 3 is striking of chapter 42. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared harm might happen to him. He talked about the consequences from the brother's sin. Look at what it did to their father. He's so afraid he can't even send Benjamin with the rest of the brothers. We think about those who experience loss and heartache and pain. It changes us. It does, doesn't it? We admit that, that some of the healing we get will not happen until we're on the other side of glory in heaven. Losses, worry, fear, concern. We see this in Jacob as he says, no, no. Maybe what happened to Joseph will happen to Benjamin. Then we've got some interesting chapters, kind of some back and forth, right? Joseph's brothers go, they come back. There's a silver cup story. Read it sometime. It's really interesting. 43 of the brothers come back again because the famine's still going on. 44, he tests his brothers. And then we get to chapter 45, where in verses 1 through 3, everything comes together. 45 verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood before him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. All over all these years, put yourself in the place of the brothers, wondering if they could be forgiven. And now they're standing before this mighty ruler in Egypt, Think about the shock of that. I am Joseph, your brother. And then he goes on to forgive them and to say, I'll provide for you. Chapter 46, his family comes to Egypt. Chapter 47, Jacob's family settles in Goshen, in Egypt. God blesses them. Chapter 48, Jacob blesses the sons of Joseph. Chapter 49, Jacob blesses each of his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we get to chapter 50 that we just read. Jacob has died. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He was 39 from the start of the famine to when his brothers came to Egypt. And now when his father dies, he's 56 years old. For 17 years, this number is interesting too. I don't want to read too much into it. 17 sold into slavery. 17 years from when his brothers came to Egypt, his father dies. For 17 years, Joseph had provided for his brothers and their family. Completely. They were blessed. They had everything that they needed. God gave Joseph Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh gave land to live in for Jacob and his family. And they multiplied. And now their father dies. 
And all of these emotions that they had from years ago, all of these things came up in their heart and they said, now that dad's gone, will Joseph finally give us what we deserve? Even though for 17 years God had provided and Joseph had forgiven. Joseph's brothers wouldn't have these exact words that we do, but we have the blessing of having the word of God where we would maybe say things like in those moments when we doubt, is my sin really removed as far as the east is from the west? Is my sin really thrown into the depth of the sea and to be remembered no more? Has the blood of Jesus really and fully and completely covered my sins? Here, my friends, we have a disconnect sometimes between our head and our heart because we know this is factually true, but our heart deceives us and we question and we wonder and we say, if you only knew what I had thought, what I had said, what I did, you would doubt as well. In this passage that we read in Genesis 50, we see that Joseph's brothers not only doubted their brother's forgiveness, but they were ultimately doubting God's forgiveness because he's the one who had provided for them and given them all that they needed. The rest of this morning, we're going to spend time together going verse by verse through this passage where we're going to see what God has for us. May he give us ears to listen and hearts to understand. Genesis 50 verse 15 again says this, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Years ago when I was in pastoral ministry out in North Dakota, we had a family that their elderly father died. The kids of that family were in their mid-60s to early 70s. We got together to plan the final arrangements for this saint who had passed on. And I kid you not, these 65 and 70-year-old kids were squabbling like elementary students over where the flowers would be at the memorial. There's grief that changes us. And in those moments, there's no judgment, there's compassion. But I've seen it a lot. When mom or dad pass on, the kids grow distant, and sometimes they revert back to the way that they were when they were kids. Joseph's brothers were wondering if things would be different now that their father had died. Not arguing over where the flowers would go, but arguing over, are we actually and truly forgiven? They were troubled with this question, essentially, am I going to get what I deserve? They're haunted by this guilt and fear. They don't really believe that they're forgiven, and they believe that Joseph, now with the opportunity, will give them revenge. Maybe they thought about it this way. If Joseph had thrown me into a well and sold me into slavery, I don't think I would forgive him. Remember, friends, these are real people that this really happened to. If your own brothers had done that to you, how would you feel? So Joseph's brothers are sitting here wondering, man, is this all for show? Was he just doing this so dad would be okay? Here all Christians can identify with Joseph. It's human nature to doubt forgiveness because so often our own forgiveness is conditional. We see this very often in close relationships. Maybe it's with our marriage, with our parents, with our kids. We say, I forgive you. But then maybe they do that same thing again that we forgave them before. And no, we're not just mad about that time that they just did, right? All the emotions and feelings of what they may have done before come back. And we dig ourselves into this hole where we say, ah, man, you're at it again. And we might not even say it out loud, but in our heart, we justify. 
As Jesus said, it's so easy to look at the speck in your brother's eye, and this is not the literal translation, but when you got a two-by-four sticking out of your own, right? We so easily see others sin. We so easily say, ah, I can't really forgive them. But fundamentally, we know in our own heart, we're doubting if we actually do forgive them. This nagging question, am I really forgiven? Joseph's brothers craft a scheme, verse 16 of chapter 50. So they sent a message, this is the brothers, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Here too I'm reminded of a family situation. I won't use one of my kids' names, but this may or may not have happened in our house. So I'll call it Little Johnny. Little Johnny goes to mom and says, hey, dad said that I could have a cookie. When in fact, dad may have not said that at all. I don't know if any of your kids would have ever done something like that. Not that mine would. I won't embarrass them, but it is possible. Manipulating the situation for their gain. Hey, dad said I could. Well, no, dad actually did not say that. And then you get in trouble for lying in that instance. This is really what the brothers are doing. They are saying, hey, we, we're not even going to go in person to Joseph. We're too afraid. We're going to send a messenger to Joseph and say, your father gave us this command before he died. It's interesting to you, there's something in the original language and a couple commentators brought this up. The brothers might have actually sent Benjamin as the messenger to Joseph. Man, you talk about stacking the deck in your favor, trying to bring out all the best things. That's exactly what they were doing. Verse 17, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And then this poignant verse, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Guilt and shame will just eat at your soul. I say there were guilt or shame and perhaps even in that moment you're reminded of those stupid and foolish and sinful things that you have done. You have said that you have thought. Like a nagging itch that we can't quite scratch. We need someone else to reach it for us. Here the brother's scheme reaches its high point. The message is delivered. The brothers anxiously await the news about what Joseph will do. Will he lash out in anger? Will he finally give them what's coming to them? His reaction shows that God had already worked in his heart in a powerful way. What did he do? He wept out of sorrow. Joseph is so hurt that after all this forgiveness and grace that he has extended to his brothers, that they could think so poorly of him. In many ways, the brothers are doubting the forgiveness of Joseph, but also doubting the grace and the working of God. Because what had Joseph continually pointed back to throughout this whole story? He had said, God has done this. God has provided. God has forgiven you. So here the brothers are not just saying, I don't know about Joseph. They're saying, I don't know if God is actually forgiving here too we see ourselves. When we doubt God's forgiveness of our sins, we are doubting who he is and his very nature. When God says something, it's true. No matter how we feel about it, no matter what we think about it, when God says your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, it's fact. It's done, it's proven, and he creates faith in our heart to believe that. All the times he has promised us that we are forgiven are called into question when our guilt, our worry, and our fear rear their ugly heads. The book of Concord puts it this way. Those who believe in Christ should not doubt their righteousness, reckon to them through faith, nor the absolution. Whoever does so insults Christ. 
That's heavy, but it's true. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. Context important here. The messengers had been here up to this point. We don't know if the brothers are waiting in the wings to be called in. We don't know if Joseph summoned them. But at this point, they come in and they fall down before him and they say, behold, we are your servants. The guilt, the fear, the worry are paralyzing. We know from the previous verse that Joseph had been weeping. I think we can safely assume the brothers had as well. And they fall before him and say, Behold, we are your servants. Verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. Here we have the beautiful gospel truth proclaimed to his terrified brothers when he says to them, Do not fear, This verse sets the stage for one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture that we see in the next part in verse 20. Listen to this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Friends, here's the heart of the entire saga of Joseph. Not just this passage that we looked at today, but this is back to the very beginning of God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. God can take the worst of circumstances and use them for the furtherance of his kingdom. We know in Scripture that God works together all things for good for those who have loved him and been called according to his purpose. I want to be careful here too. I don't want to assume that Joseph had some Pollyanna attitude as these things were happening to him. No, I guarantee Joseph was angry and hurt and bitter because he was a human just like the rest of us. There's a great danger in looking at some of these saints of the Bible and saying, man, they're incredible people. Well, they are incredible people, but only because of the grace and the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Joseph, no doubt, struggled struggled with anger and bitterness and likely hatred towards his brothers. When he was thrown in prison, he wasn't sitting there with a smile on his face. No, there's no doubt he was hurt. There's no doubt he struggled to forgive his brothers because he was human. And it wasn't Joseph who made use of these circumstances. It was God who made use of these circumstances. There are sufferings and things in this world where we just throw up our hands in the air and sometimes we just say, why God? Why this person? We look around with the psalmist and we say, Lord, how long will you allow the evil men to prosper while your saints suffer? Someone that we love is hurting. There's a pain in our life, in our nation, in our community, in our hearts. And sometimes the only words that we have are words of why. And we cry out to God and we say, Lord, I don't understand. But God uses these questions to point us towards himself and the things of eternity. There's such great beauty in knowing that God can and does make redemptive use of anything. We don't know why. And friends, sometimes we may never know why this side of heaven, why something happened the way that it did. And when we get to heaven, we may ask why, or we may not even care anymore when we get to heaven because we're going to see the face of Jesus. And in that moment, all the fears and worries and lack of forgiveness will be melted away. We don't know why, but by God's grace, we can rest in and know that his grace is sufficient because his power is made perfect in weakness. Even in moments of doubting forgiveness, this is true. Sin has consequences. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. We see that time and time again when we hurt others, when others hurt us. 
Sometimes things seem broken. Relationships are fractured beyond repair this side of heaven. We deeply hurt and others deeply hurt us. This was certainly true of Joseph's brothers. They desperately needed to know that they're forgiven. Verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Oh, friends, some things are worth repeating. Look back at verse 19. What did he say there? Do not fear. And what does he say here again? Do not fear. He tells them yet again they don't need to be afraid. They don't need to doubt their forgiveness because God is with them. He said it a second time in just a few short moments. And here's the wonderful thing about the theology that we believe and preach and teach at this church because it's centered on the cross and the grace. From Sunday to Sunday, you're going to hear the same message and that message is about Jesus, amen? That message is about what he's done for us and the forgiveness and grace offered on the cross because that is the most important message in all of scripture. We can learn things, we can see lessons, we can be taught how to live and how to respond, but fundamentally, the message of scripture is the message of Jesus living dying and rising again. Time and time again, we doubt, we wonder, we worry, we have fear. But he comes to us and he says, do not fear, you are forgiven. He works in our heart a desire to confess our sins, to know that we're forgiven. And he says again to us each Sunday, each time we read the word, each time we sing the songs of the faith, he says, do not fear, you are forgiven. I think here too, there's a special beauty in verse 21. And as a father, this gives me all the emotions. Because what does he say? I will provide for you and your little ones. As a father, think about his brother's concern in that moment. They're probably thinking, I deserve what I'm going to get. I was awful to my brother. But oh God, what about my kids? Will they be killed? Will they be thrown into slavery? And the Holy Spirit works in the heart of Joseph and he says in that moment exactly what they need to hear. And he says, oh, don't be afraid. I'll take care of you and your little ones. Friends, that's how the Holy Spirit works in our heart as well. In those moments of despair, in those moments of doubting, in those moments where we say, God, have you really forgiven me? He speaks to us with a still small voice that tells us, yes, because of the blood of Jesus on the cross, because of the grace working in your heart, even though you doubt, even though you worry, even though you question, that doesn't change the fact that you are forgiven. And friends, here's the most beautiful part of this entire section. For from the line of Jacob, we ultimately get Jesus. Even though we join in the sinful choir of mankind and our sins throw Jesus not into a well, but instead our sins throw Jesus up onto the cross. He doesn't cry out, I condemn you. No, instead he cries out, Father, forgive them. The blood of Jesus is shed on the cross and it covers our sins. We can doubt this. We can question this. We can say it doesn't make any sense, but that doesn't make it any less true. By faith, we believe and receive this. And God creates a personal relationship with us as his adopted sons and daughters. A miracle is worked in our hearts as we hear and believe and receive this truth that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And no matter what we feel, we are forgiven. Young people, I want to speak to you especially at this moment, but everyone, there are times in your life as you're growing up, as you're maturing, it often happens around confirmation age, that you start to wonder, is all this stuff really true? 
I grew up in church. I believe that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then these questions come into your mind. How do I really know that the Bible's true? Is this really the only way? And then you find out that your friends might not know Jesus, and they're not Christians, and this worries you, and this concerns you, and these doubts come in. And sometimes, as a young person, you can question and wonder, is it okay that I have these questions? Have you been there? Grown-ups, this is for us too. And friends, it's okay. God would want us to ask and answer these questions because in that we see the insufficiency of our own understanding, our own logic. And we say, by God's grace, I may not fully understand this. I don't know all these things, but I know that it's true. And you can sit here and you can say and believe that I know this is true even though I have questions and we can ask and we can wonder. But if we point back to each and every time to the word of God and if you're doubting, if you're wondering, if you have fears, if you wonder if you're forgiven, the answer is right here. The answer is in the word of God. Read it. Believe it. Understand and know it. This radical forgiveness that's given to us changes us. Even in those moments of doubt, when the Holy Spirit works in us and tells us we're forgiven, we're different than we were before that. So I ask you this, who is God calling you to forgive today? Is it yourself for something you've done? Is it a wound so deep that you don't even know if this could be forgiven and covered? Is it that sin that pops up in your brain in the middle of the night Is it that habitual habit that you've done time and time again that your heart has gotten so hardened and callous that you don't even care anymore? In those moments, you cry out to God and you say, Father, forgive me. You read the word. And friends, we have the promise. This is a promise from God so we know that it's true. If you read the word, it will not return void. I mean that if you doubt your forgiveness, if you doubt if this relationship can be healed, if you've struggled with something so long you don't even know how to struggle anymore, God's grace is greater. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than that. And if you want to have freedom and deliverance and assurance of salvation, you find it right here in the Word of God. And He says to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, do not fear. Do not fear. I will care for you and your little ones. I forgive you. For the lifelong believer and for those who are sitting here today who wonder if they really know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is calling out to each of us through the word of God, creating faith to believe that this is true. Believe it. Receive it. Know this truth and by the power and grace of God, come before God and confess your sins. Lord, I haven't forgiven. I've doubted my forgiveness. On the account of Jesus, forgive my unbelief and my doubt. Friends, he's already done these things for you. Believe it. Receive it. God's word says it's so much better than I ever could. I want to end with Psalm 103, 10 through 13. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's word today. 
Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.